very warm welcome to you on this chilly day again here in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Barely, <laughs> I'm wrapped up like some kind of mountain man. It's been chilly here. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us. Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We'll be with you for the next hour to receive your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right, it's your questions that guide our show. We never know where it's going to go, and that's uh, a big part of the fun and excitement of it. So we're glad you're joining us and welcome your, your questions um, to guide us along our show today. My name is Dave Robson. I will be fielding those questions as they come on in on our various platforms, which I'll let you know what they are in a few moments here. But before we go any further, with us today, joining us, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today? Good. I had to say goodbye to my first roommate today. You did? Yep. He uh, and I got a, well, basically, you know, we shared everything, not just under the same roof and stewardship of the same pet. We even shared the same water supply. We got along well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who, get, who gets the pet? I think he missed it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Explain it. Got along well. <laughs> got along. Oh, well, water. Well. 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 It's late in the day. It's a Friday. You know, you've got to pre Maybe before the show you can share and then I can ha, 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 pretend that I got it. But I haven't but yeah. done this once without involving some sort of fun. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's true. I just thought it wasn't there today. Well, who gets the, – the, the pet is prey, right? Your cat? Yes, it's precious. Prey? Precious? Prey for prey. short. Prey for short. Oh, I see. I like She's that She's made a few guest appearances on the broadcast when we were still broadcasting out of your old house. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. I remember. She'd run across the desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just snuggle up on our legs, and then we'd just bring her up to yeah. say hi. Yeah, I, yeah. Remember, I do remember that now. Very good. Also with us, uh, Pastor Scott Richards. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm just uh, sure that all of your freezing countrymen are just uh, completely appalled at your lack of fortitude. <laughs> I know. It's temperature... Been... Temperature drops below 60 degrees, and <laughs> you're ready to declare an ice yeah. age. Oh, every, every time I talk with my parents, I say, oh, it's cold. My dad's like, what? Is it like drop below 60 or something? And he, you know, he mocks me for that. But. Hey, hey, you're in the desert. Your blood thins uh, yeah, out. It, it I does. always tell him that. I don't know if there's any biological truth behind that. It's but. true. I've been here almost 20 years now, so yeah, uh, yeah I'm yeah. kind of converted now but uh, <laughs> absolutely well again we warmly welcome you and there's various ways that you can can join us today on our, our regular platforms uh, reason for hope is a ministry and outreach of calvary christian fellowship here in tucson arizona so if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us that will help you out we have a website calvarychristianfellowship.com if you follow the watch live tab you will find us there also on facebook calvary christian fellowship of tucson we are live there also if you go to youtube the channel is a reason for hope a reason for hope on youtube that's where you will find us we have an app for your mobile device whether it's your cell phone ipad or even on roku and apple tv if you look for calvary christian fellowship it's a a red uh red background with a white uh, calvary chapel logo dove that's our um our app there download it and you can watch us on the big screen or the very small screen of your phone as well we have an email address which is questions for hope at gmail.com questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the radio, you might want to use the email address because you are listening to our last show, our previous call show pre-recorded. Um, but send your, your uh, questions in through email and we will endeavor to get to them on our next show. And consider joining us on one of our live platforms when you can, because as I say, we are very much live and taking your questions as they come on in uh, you can also follow pastor scott on twitter at scott r for h that's scott letter r number four letter h where he posts 
highlights from the show and commentary on like world events and uh, all kinds of wonderful discussions. So that, those are ways that you can keep uh, uh, up to date with us on an ongoing basis. And do consider liking and sharing and subscribing on YouTube, clicking that bell. That means you get notified when we go live. We'd love to reach as many people as we can with the, the good news of the word. So don't forget to click all those buttons and share us around. We would certainly appreciate it as we appreciate you joining us faithfully as well. Well, <laughs> there you go. Pretty good. <laughs> I, should time, I should time myself and see how long it takes. Shall we pray before we move any further? We know we want the Lord to speak. Would you like to pray for us? Yeah, happy to. Yes. God, thank you that we have the chance to be in your word. Allow this time to be not only dedicated to you, but empowered by you. Give the listeners ears to hear your voice and us hearts that are ready and willing to receive and relate it as you give us the equipment to do so. My Father, with your spirit and myself as well, and allow us to glorify you. And pray this mm. in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 You got along well. I get it. Water. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a deep subject. Water supply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Pastor Scott, have you, do you have anything to, uh, to share with us? Well, it's Hanukkah. In the world? Oh. Believe it or not. You know, uh, Festival of Hanukkah lights. was yeah. like one of the first uh, real spiritual conundrums my family faced. Uh, when I was growing up. I grew oh, really? up in uh, the San Fernando Valley in Southern California community yep. called Con Canoga Park in a largely uh, Jewish neighborhood, believe it or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the kids we played with and our friends were all Jewish. And when Hanukkah rolled around, uh, my brother and I were absolutely flabbergasted over the fact that uh, we had Christmas, which was just one day, but they had eight days of <laughs> Hanukkah. And they got presents on all eight days. So uh, one of my first <laughs> deep theological questions I asked my parents was this, can we be Jewish so that we yeah. can do Hanukkah too? You know, I just thought that was a great Absolutely. deal. Absolutely, graft us in. They kind of looked at me strangely and said there's a little more to it than that, but <laughs> there you go. All I wanted was the presents. Yeah. But anyway, Hanukkah is also known as the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights. And believe it or not, um, you know, you talk about uh, a, uh, a series of events that I think would make uh, just an outstanding movie if Christopher Nolan or someone like that wanted to do a movie along these lines. So the story of Hanukkah and what led to it uh, is just really very, very dramatic stuff. It's not found in your Bible. It uh, took place uh, in what is known as the intertestamental period between uh, the uh, time of the uh, writing of uh, Malachi and uh, the time of John the Baptist coming on the scene. Mm. Uh, and uh, what was happening uh, in Israel uh, after Israel returned to the land after the Babylonian uh, invasion, uh, well, they were uh, the client state of the Medo-Persian Empire. Well, the Medes and the Persians fell to the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great uh, dominated uh, the, the known world. You might recall his famous quote. Uh, he wept uh, at the age of 30 because there were no wor more worlds, he said, for him to conquer. Uh, so Alexander the Great died not long after that, a very young age. Uh, and he had in his will uh, that his four main generals would fight for control over the empire. They'd each be given a a parcel of his empire. And whoever was uh, considered uh, was uh, most skillful, most tactical, uh, the one who would overcome the others would be fit to succeed him on his throne. Well, sounded good in theory, never quite worked out because each of these regional powers 
and uh, their offspring basically fought each other to stand still. One of them uh, was a fellow by the name of Ptolemy, and Ptolemy was the one that uh, pretty much dominated uh, the area around Egypt and into the Promised Land. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the descendants of this general uh, was a very unsavory character named Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, we see him prophesied in the book of Daniel. Uh, quite a bit of his career is predicted there uh, long before the events took place. Daniel writing roughly in the 500s uh, BC and uh, the events of Hanukkah taking place so roughly around 160 or so, 165 BC. So uh, this Antiochus Epiphanes comes to power and he was Greek with a capital G. Mm. He wanted Greek culture to dominate, uh, kind of an egotistical guy. Uh, he took the name Epiphanes, which literally meant a, uh, a manifestation of God. Mm. Uh, he believed he was Zeus uh, incarnate, uh, believe it or not. Uh, and he had the ego to go with it. Yeah. Uh, and so what he did was when he came to his newly uh, dominated area in Israel, he saw that the Jews had this one God they worshipped, not the pantheon that the Greeks did. Uh, they weren't at all interested in idols, uh, especially not interested in uh, the idol of Zeus. So he was going to do something about that. He was going to stamp out Judaism once and for all. And so uh, he declared it illegal uh, to uh, be able to celebrate any of the Jewish holidays. He sort of paid off and bought off some uh, sellouts and sympathizers to be high priests over the temple and go along with his paganizing of it. Uh, if a uh, family was found circumcising their child on the eighth day, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes would have both the mother and the child nailed to a wall in a public square as a don't let this happen to you kind of a message. Really brutal, brutal guy. His uh, crowning achievement was uh, deciding to uh, defile the temple because he saw that that was really the straw that stirred the drink as far as the Jews were concerned. And so uh, he did a very thorough job of this. He went to the altar of sacrifice and slaughtered a pig on the altar of sacrifice. Mm. Uh, <laughs> if you're around Jewish people, are very right. sensitive about bacon and things like that. <laughs> that was pretty over the top. Yeah. To add to this, he put up a uh, idol of Zeus in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Whoa. and uh, declared that the people had to worship it and, by extension, him. Well, as you can imagine, there were two factions. There were the go-along-to-get-along guys mm -hmm. who said, hey, you know, just we, we, we got to survive, got to think about our kids. And they kind of went along with that. But then there were those who said, no way, not uh, in any way, shape, or form, we're going to tolerate this. And so they formed a guerrilla insurgency against the uh, dominant armies of the Greeks. Now, remember something. Even though Alexander the Great's empire was divvied up into fourths, it was still the dominant empire of the day. Rome really was just a, uh, a thought on the horizon mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, and so very, very uh, skilled and equipped militarily. But uh, this ragtag group that uh, came together and fought against the Greeks uh, and, uh, you know, basically hit-and-run tactics and so on. Very, very effective. Uh, their leader was a fellow by the name of Judas Maccabeus, or Judah Maccabee, he's called sometimes. And uh, the Maccabees and their family uh, did such a great job of, uh, I guess you would call, unconventional warfare against the Greeks that finally they drove Antiochus Epiphany and the Greek armies out of Jerusalem 
you know, after a while, the public turned and they realized they could fight and stand against these people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was bad news for them. So Antiochus Epiphanes and uh, his armies uh, withdrew. And uh, it was such a shocking, overwhelming victory uh, that uh, the, the people just didn't really know what to do. So here they had their temple that was still standing. Antiochus Epiphanes did not destroy the temple, but he utterly desecrated it, you know, mm -hmm. with the slaughtering of the pig right. and the offering of the uh, I, the idol of Zeus and the Holy of Holies. And, and so uh, there was this rededication, a cleansing of the temple that took place mm -hmm. during that time. And part of that was uh, the idea of lighting the menorah, you know, the, the traditional yeah. uh, uh, lamp that you see in Jewish culture. And uh, for, but you couldn't uh, light the menorah with just any old oil. Uh, it had to be purified oil as specified and concocted uh, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, and, and so they only had enough. They finally found a priest and they said, you know, do you have, well, I've only got enough oil uh, for one night uh, and uh, it'll take us about uh, eight days to make new oil, you know, going through the procedures and all this other stuff. So. You know, they were quite taken aback by that. So they went with what they had. They lit the uh, menorah in the temple, and it lasted that night and the next night and the next night on through eight days. And it was considered just an amazing miracle and God's way of saying, I'm still with you and I'm still faithful to you. Mm. So um, this feast of dedication uh, was something that uh, became it. It's not specified as one of the feasts that the people of Israel had uh, to uh, to follow, uh, but uh, uh, and it's not really designated at all in the scripture as far as you know the practices and so on. But uh, the interesting thing uh, about it is uh, that uh, it was something that really stuck in the Jewish culture. Uh, for instance, in John chapter ten, uh, we are told uh, in verse twenty-two. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And uh, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Well, fascinating thing that Jesus would say at this point, especially in light of a holiday that surrounds the idea of the festival of lights. Sometimes it's called that. Jesus being the light of the world. Well, what an enlightening statement uh, he makes there. Uh, he said, I've already told you everything you need to know. Uh, my works speak for themselves. Uh, the reason that you're having a problem with this is you don't belong to my father. But uh, those who do belong to my father, uh, not only are they going to understand this truth, but uh, they don't have to worry about falling away or anything else because uh, the Lord is going to keep them. So this is a really amazing statement that Jesus made. Now today, Hanukkah, you know, I was driving uh, to uh, the office and I saw a uh, car driving along that had a uh, menorah, a plastic menorah on top of it. And I think it was from the uh, Chabad uh, chapter of Oro Valley, yeah. uh, <laughs> driving around like that, celebrating Hanukkah. Yeah. But uh, Hanukkah goes eight days. You don't have to give eight presents 
some families do, some families don't. Uh, there's uh, some interesting traditions that go along with it. Uh, among them, you are supposed to eat fried foods every day <laughs> for eight days during Hanukkah yeah. because of the oil. Yeah. It had to be cooked in I've never oil. wanted to be Jewish more. So, you know? <laughs> so presents, eight days fried of foods, yeah. eight days. <laughs> Sign me up. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just a really wonderful, wonderful holiday. And, yeah. uh, you know, so the, the question uh, comes up, Sean, okay, uh, this, this holiday, you know, this dedication thing, it's mentioned in the Gospels there. Uh, should Christians celebrate Hanukkah? Well, I guess no more than any other historical event. What oftentimes throws people for a loop is either A, this holiday isn't commanded in the books of Moses, therefore it's not for us to follow, but the problem is the remembrance of the Messiah's death and resurrection aren't also in there, yet we still meet to celebrate that fact. Easter, Christmas, you get the idea. It's something they can't really be consistent with. Also note when people are concerned and saying, well, we don't really have mention or acknowledgement of this holiday in the Gospels, and the answer is actually we do. In the Gospel accounts, as was mentioned, Jesus was, of course, able to celebrate that holiday, and it wasn't a sinful thing. And it falls along the same lines that, unfortunately, can be controversial to some people in celebrating not secular in the not God sense, but other than spiritual sense, acknowledging history, but with some decided historical overtones and spiritual as well. So an informed look at this essentially leaves it up to your conscience. And of course, in the Romans category of one man esteems one day of, of another, another man esteems every day alike. The people historically who are primarily celebrating this, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are doing so because of a decided and verifiable event in their history where God was faithful in response to them also being faithful. That's something worth remembering, even if it's not necessarily codified or put into a book. But on the other hand, you just say, uh, well, I guess uh, repeating a uh, time-honored comedian, but the the next eight days, it is the month, is the week of Hanukkah, or as everyone other than the Jews refer to it, Friday, and (laughs) it it can just be another day to you. That's completely fine. Just make sure that in your own conscience before the Lord, the reason why you are either attending, say, for example, a festival with a local synagogue that you explain, hey, Haynes quality Gentile here, but because of my affiliation or my at least my belief that I'm following your Messiah, I want to stand in solidarity with you on this. And unless they're, you know, little put out. I don't think they'll turn you away. But the point being made is just this. If you want to celebrate any day above another, be it your own birthday, be it St. Patrick's right. Day, be it anything in this hey, regard. St. Lucia's Day. Yeah. Big day for Swede, for Swedes. Uh, on St. Lucia's Day, the oldest uh, daughter in the family has to serve their parents breakfast in bed. Wow. Why am I missing out on all these holidays? Yeah, like that? <laughs> you Brits need to get with it. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's <laughs> not to only... jump around different, <laughs> identify as different nationalities. That's what I need to there do. You, go. you can do that these <laughs> yeah. days. Well, that's the only point that's being made. In your own conscience and heart before God, is he the focus? And that's all that's going to matter. Yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. We have a, this is related, a question from Mac D. Hey, Mac, thank you for, for joining us, as you often do. Um, he asked, why are Jews still awaiting the so-called Messiah? Do they reject the New Testament in God's word? Great question, and of course, a 
great thing to ponder. In general terms, there are others, but there's three kinds of Jews that you'll run into. The first is the Messianic Jew, those who recognize that Messiah has come. The second type are the Orthodox Jews, those who are still waiting for the Messiah. That would be those of more along the mindset of those of the Sanhedrin and those persecuting the early church. And the third are just secular Jews, people who have a Jewish ethnicity but don't really appreciate or approve uh, or observe, rather, is the word I was looking for, um, any of the Jewish customs apart from just a familial. Yeah, there, there's conservative Jews as well that, yeah. uh, you know, are Torah. Uh, observant, uh, you know, Michael Medved, the uh, radio, and Dennis Prager of Prager University, they are conservative Jews, and, and they would say they're not orthodox in the sense of following the orthodox customs and all of this, but uh, they do believe that the uh, first five books of the Bible, in fact, uh, even the, the what we would call uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Torah, the uh, writings of the prophets, are divinely inspired. So, yeah, yeah, but we, note in those categories then, it's basically in their relationship or response to Jesus. One out of the four yeah. are our brothers in Christ. Yeah. They recognize that Messiah, that's what Christ is in Greek, uh, has come. But if on the other hand you're going to, I guess in broad strokes, say Jews in general, are they still waiting for their Messiah? Well, which one? There are a lot of different individual groups and perspectives. You can take the secular aspect in the uh, Seinfeld world. You can take the uh, Orthodox uh, ruling, I guess, political figures in Israel today and still throughout the world. And of course, there are those who would be in solidarity with us as brothers in Christ. And there are those, as you mentioned, conservative Jews. Again, they're out there. Uh, people who would agree with us insofar as the Old Testament is also the Word of God. And for, again, the most part, can't speak for all of them, don't really have much to say for or against Christians. If anything else, most of the political movements they're a part of, Christians are more an asset than an obstacle, so they'll tend to just tolerate us. Yeah. But the point being made is just that. Deal with an individual not based on an ethnicity as conclusion of their spiritual identity, but their individual claims about who Jesus is. Because as we read in the book of Romans chapter 9 through 11, the Jew has more right to acknowledge their Messiah than we do. We're just kind of beneficiaries by proxy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the term uh, Mac, uh, Messiah, literally means anointed one. And we would obviously look at that. And in uh, many quarters of Judaism, they would say that there's a Messiah with a capital M, you know, the, mm. the son of David that is, is promised. However, uh, there are Messianic Jewish movements and we have to be careful on defining our terms here, uh, that uh, would say, well, all Messiah means is the anointed one, one set aside by God for a particular purpose. Uh, there was a, a group uh, that got into a big uh, dust-up uh, with Al Sharpton and stuff in Brooklyn. They were called the Lubavitcher Movements, their mm -hmm. uh, particular uh, rabbi that they had. Uh, they believed was the Messiah because they believed that somehow he was going to lead the, the Jews in rebuilding their temple. And that's that's the really interesting part of all of this. Uh, you ask uh, the Jews, uh, why don't you believe that uh, Jesus is the Messiah? Well, you say he's the son of God, they will say. We don't believe that the Messiah will be the son of God. We believe he's just going to be a man. And they will point to Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 that says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the midst of your brethren, him you shall hear. 
and they say, well, Moses was just a man, so we believe that Messiah will be just a man. Mm-hmm. Now, the irony behind all of this is that uh, prophetically speaking, we know that when the Antichrist comes to power, according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and following, he is going to make a strong covenant with many that will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple on its historic site. In other words, this error that is made about rejecting Messiah as the Son of God and sort of uh, denigrating or demoting Messiah just to be an individual man with a purpose, man a man who will prove his credentials by allowing them to rebuild their temple, mm. well, the Antichrist will jump on that with both feet and I think use it as a way of uh, deceiving uh, the Jews, at least the first part of the uh, tribulation period, we believe. Uh, you know, again, Isaiah uh, 28 uh, speaks of uh, the Jews making a covenant with death at one point. But the, God said that your covenant with death will be annulled. It won't provide you uh, the security that you need. Uh, we believe uh, as far as uh, a time scenario goes, and this gets really controversial because a lot of great people can think differently, that the Gog and Magog invasion uh, that is going to take place uh, is going to be the turning point for the Jewish people. It's also going to be the turning point for the Antichrist. The temple will be rebuilt. Uh, the Russian-led invasion of Israel with Iran and other nations, uh, Turkey al- alongside of them, uh, an overwhelming invasion force is going to come in. God is going to supernaturally intervene and destroy this invading uh, force on the mountains of Israel, using, among other things, uh, fire and brimstone to do it. Uh, The Antichrist is going to then go to Jerusalem and say, hey, I'm the one who destroyed those enemies. And if you don't believe it, here's my protege, the false prophet, according to Revelation 13, calls down fire out of heaven. They won't call him the false prophet, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, according to... <laughs> that would be a bad introduction, wouldn't and, it? <laughs> and it's fascinating, but according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, at that point, the Jews will recognize who their true Messiah is, who their true deliverer is, probably through the influence mm. of the 144,000 uh, anointed Jewish evangelists, the two prophets who are going to have this incredibly powerful ministry in Jerusalem mm. at this time. They're going to go, you guys were right, this guy is wrong, and at that point, uh, Holocaust 2.0 is going to be the Antichrist's uh, policy at that point. He's going to wipe out every Jew, especially the Jews that don't uh, accept him, Uh, not just because they're not towing the party line, Mm. uh, but because uh, he also realizes that Jesus came from the Jewish people and that God specially loves the Jewish people. Mm. And if he can get the Jewish people, then he's really stuck it to God as right. best he possibly can. That's the abomination that causes desolation. And again, according to Zechariah, two-thirds of Israel will be killed within moments of that declaration. But yeah, And, and why Jesus warned people in Matthew 24 uh, when you see that abomination of desolation, what? Get out of Dodge. Yeah. Run to the mountains. Go to the east. You'll be provided for. There's Don't go back into it. your house. Get out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. uh, so fascinating stuff. And you know the, you know again, small m messianic movements like the Lubavitcher movement and others. Uh, I think and that mindset that even you know secular Jews will have that well we'll recognize the Messiah when he has us leads us to rebuilding our temple. Yeah. Yeah, at every Passover, um, there is a prayer 
that this year uh, we would be found uh, worthy to be the generation that will rebuild the temple. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, and it's, it's very interesting how all of this is sort of set up in a way. It's another way that the players are kind of taking the stage as mm. far as uh, prophetic fulfillment down the line. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that, Mac. Yeah. Thank you for your your question. It's great to. Great stuff for sure. Um, a couple of people have, have asked if uh, you're able to call in with your questions. We don't have that that function currently, and I understand sometimes questions are complicated and have different levels, but do send your question to our email address or any of the functions, even if it's complicated, and we'll do our best to, to um, uh, discern what you're trying to ask and get to the bottom of that. So we understand that, but um, sorry that you can't call in. Probably safer that way. No, it <laughs> is, because the individual asking is a member of the Black Hebrew Israelites. Oh, is that so? Yeah, the one of the main tactics again: showboating, steamrolling, domineering, and dominating the conversation. You challenge or question anything, they'll play the race card, victimize themselves, and then usually resort to violence when that doesn't work. But he does make a follow-up question that I think is going to be very important, not just for the edification of those listening, but the individual himself. Um, he asked, "Is Numbers twenty-four seventeen through twenty Balaam's fourth prophecy uh, the gospel?" And if so, for who? So understand to all of you listening who aren't a part of this racist cult, they are making a point of emphasis that this prediction of the Messiah is in fact the gospel. Now, their organization will not tell them what the word gospel means. The organization will not tell them what the word Bible means. They'll pick a passage, isolate it, what we call eisegesis, and basically just broadcast and shout down this as if that's the true way of not only interpreting passages, but explaining them. We follow a different uh, approach to the English language. So when it comes to this prophecy, obviously I mentioned this was the not first prophecy of a man by the name of Balaam, but also, interestingly enough, not necessarily speaking of the gospel, but of the Messiah. We'll go into what the gospel means in a moment, but you need to understand and why I'm being so forceful in making this point. If you give even an inch or any possible room to an individual who's coming at the Bible from this race-based, work-based, uh, you know, black and white, others-based, if you're not a part of this ethnicity, then you are devoid from receiving the gospel, thus what they would interpret as a reference to the Messiah. They will insist that Jesus was an African of descent, that he had dark skin, and that on that basis, and through some very interesting handlings of scripture, insist that only black people, whatever that means, can be saved. And then they'll usually put forward the 12 tribes chart if they're a part of IUIC, that's Israel United Under Christ. But again, not all black Hebrew Israelites are of that sect. They're of the more violent and extremist and activist group. I don't know if the individual here is a black Hebrew Israelite from IUIC or if he's just withhold or holding to that supremacist racial worldview. But when it comes to this cult, we'll deal with this in their mishandlings in a moment, but what is Numbers 24, 17 through 20, in its full context, saying? Is it the gospel, meaning in Greek, euangelion, the good news? Is it speaking of the Messiah? Is there a difference? And what are the implications of this prophecy, especially since, unfortunately, Balaam was a white guy? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, Messiah is mentioned in this prophecy. Uh, verse 17 of Numbers chapter 24, uh, Balaam uh, said that it's kind of a twilight zony kind of thing. This guy Balaam is a real 
weird character because he apparently did get messages from God. Yeah, he was um, a legitimate prophet. You know, and he was not connected to Israel at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. Uh, he, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like Melchizedek. It's like, where did this guy get this relationship with God? And it kind of dovetails into the time-honored question about what about other people that weren't in Israel, you know? Did God have, well, God evidently had a relationship with Balaam because um, he, if you want to read the story, uh, really went out of his way to try to correct Balaam from falling in love with uh, being a prophet for hire and becoming mm-hmm. a religious huckster, and yeah. even even the point of miraculous interventions to try to prevent him from doing so. Uh, Balaam says this, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemy shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he goes on and he describes the fate of the Amalekites and the Kenites uh, and uh, some uh, other tribal people there, the Asherites. Now, this does deal with Messiah. And what Balaam is seeing in the Messiah is what it's going to be like when Jesus does come back again and set up his kingdom and defeat the enemies of God's people when he returns. But people with a racist axe to grind uh, will take a look at this and they'll say, ah, he's going to batter the brow of Moab. Uh, He's going to take on Edom. Uh, He's going to take on uh, Amalek. He's going to take on those Kenites. Yep. Uh, and for those of you who were there when we addressed the black Hebrew Israelite position on an earlier broadcast, the Amalekite is a nickname that they refer to those who are actually ethnically Jewish. And they'll say they're false Jews because they don't have the right skin pigment. And then anyone with a fair European complexion, we are the Edomites. So in their handling of that passage, their organization, I'm not kidding, puts this out as the proof text that white people are going to be enslaved. That's the gospel. That's the good news for them. That's their hope of salvation, that we will be enslaved as we once enslaved them. Now, what's interesting about that, apart from the horrible victimization and not only just terrible handling of Scripture, but taking this all in as a whole, what were the prophecies that not only led up to this, but also what is the focus of the Messiah, his ethnicity, his slave market policies, or the fact that what? He's not here yet, but he's coming from there. The only thing that's being acknowledged is I'm seeing afar off one that's going to do wonderful things. He's going to bring in righteousness. And note, Mm -hmm. in the context of what? Balak, the guy who hired Balaam, a Moabite, Not good news for him. Especially, he's hired him. That was the first person on the list, was trying to do what to the Jewish people? To destroy them. So Balaam, probably not of his own will, is announcing prophetically on behalf of the Lord what? 
that the Lord, who's going to come from this nation that you're seeking to destroy, he will conquer you and your cronies. Yeah. Now, here's the point that's being made. When we, and again, I'll uh, try to be as showboaty as they can in this matter as I can without uh, having an aneurysm, they'll look at Numbers 27, and or 24, excuse me, and they'll go, and it reads, Edom shall be a possession. What? Edom shall be a possession. Edom shall be a what? A possession. And that's how they will handle the scripture and steamroller you, that's what we're referring to as this, with sheer force of will, that unless you back down, you're insulting us, you're degrading us, you're the racist, you're trying to enslave us, on and on the victimization goes. Now, when we encounter this kind of cult, and when you see these kind of tactics, there are two kinds of people that you run into, ones with ears and ones without ears. The Holy Spirit can work with both. Just make sure that as you have the opportunity, you're not the one being the showboater. You're not the one being the steamroller. You're not the one buying into this racist rhetoric, and we will repeat it because that's all that it is, in order to handle, or in this case, mishandle these passages. Now, now you said this, this, this belief system emerged <clears throat> from a vision that the founder of uh, black Hebrew Israelitism received, correct? One of the more recent, he had a vision of an angel that was uh, very much in modern garb and appearance in a white suit and a perfectly round afro, of course dark-skinned because why not, and he revealed to him the famous 12 tribes chart that the true Jewish people are actually all of the ethnicities that the uh, minorities in the uh, specifically in the United States that were undergoing a lot of mistreatment in United States social circles were actually the true Jews. And again, based off of the sect, IUIC is the most prominent in putting this forward, will say this is your qualification for salvation. They'll go around and dress up as much as they can. Cargo pants aren't actually in the Bible, but they'll try to wear these robes Thank with you. tassels and they'll make a point of emphasis and say, you're not wearing your clothes properly. Where are your tassels at, brother? And on and on it goes. Yeah, you know, the, the reason I point that out is even beyond, uh, say, this particular cult group that's gaining some traction and some, some press, uh, you know, it just kind of comes back to something that you really have to be aware of in this, these days that are becoming more and more culty all the time. One of the things that you, you see with cult groups is they will claim a special divine inspiration. Not all of them, but some of the major ones certainly do. Mm -hmm. uh, they take their stand on visions and encounters, specifically with angels. Mormonism, the angel Moroni, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the black Hebrew <coughs> Israelites, the encounter with that individual uh, that was an angel that looked kind of like he was dressed out of the 70s or something. And, uh, you know, again, it's so important for us to understand uh, what the real gospel is. You know, they talk about the gospel, but this, here's the gospel. Uh, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I've said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you've received, let him be accursed. Now, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the grace of Christ and nothing to do with ethnicity. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, 
we are told that in Christ, because of our relationship with him, there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no male nor female. There is no slave nor free. But you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that a lot of these cult groups will trace their origins back to someone having this over-the-top angelic apparition that gives to them a message that is contrary to Scripture. Can people have encounters with angels? Certainly. We do see that quite a bit happening in the book of Acts. Some people may have these kind of angelic encounters. But if any angel is from God, they will never say a single thing that is contradictory to the clear teaching of the Word of God. Nor force their adherence to this new revelation to resort to such childish methods. Now, I'm going to ask you to give me a bit of a layup here, just so that those listening, if you're from the Black Hebrew Israelite persuasion, was the Apostle Paul from these chosen people? Do we have in the text verification that he was, in fact, a Jew, that he qualified on their 12 tribes chart? Well, he essentially claimed to be a Jew. He gives us his spiritual resume in Philippians chapter 3, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. So note that point to those listening who are a member of that cult. He not only claimed to be from the tribe of Benjamin, but also, interestingly enough, a real Jew that even they would recognize, the apostle Peter, who was also from the right race. What was his opinion of Paul's writings in Second Peter chapter 3? He referred to them as what? Scripture. Okay. So, in Paul's writings, who was a Hebrew, who was from the tribe of Benjamin, who was verified as such, according to your worldview, this is authoritative. What is the gospel? Not the words of a prophet for hire in Numbers 20 that saw Messiah far off and in its context was addressing a, no, you are going to be the one conquered here as you're trying to conquer the Jewish people. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you had believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul didn't come up with this. That Christ, Messiah, the one spoken of by Balaam, right, died for our ethnicity? No our preservation in order to achieve this superior status among all other nations? Our sins, according to the scriptures. According to the what, Dave? Scriptures. Which scriptures was that? (laughs) Which scriptures? Leave me hanging here, brother. scriptures. (laughs) Okay, the scriptures. And, note this, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. According to the what, Dave? Scriptures. According to the what? Scriptures. Which scriptures? <laughs> the, the Hebrew scriptures. The Tanakh, the Torah, <laughs> the one prophesied by Balaam. Trying to match the audience here. And We're no, sorry, Sean, we're sorry. <laughs> you see what happens, how stressful this can get? And he was seen, note this, by Cephas, then by the twelve. Then after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, also a Jew, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. This is the gospel of those who are in the black Hebrew Israelite group who have been sold this bag of goods, who are looking at yourself 
and your righteousness, your standing, your clothing in order to justify you before God, you can't offer sacrifices because there is no temple. Your sacrifices are not adequate because the author of Hebrews, who references the Old Testament like it's going out of style, is saying what? That they are inefficacious because their ultimate fulfillment is what? In the one you claim is on your side, the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. That is the gospel, not your skin tone, the common status that we all share, not being right, but justified, not by our skin, but his blood. And if you trust in anything short of the Son of God for your salvation, those tassels aren't going to save you. Those associations with the right ethnicity and genetic heritage, your genealogies aren't going to save you. The only thing that you and I have hope in is in the gospel, and that is not your hatred of the Edomite, even though I am not of any association or relationship to Esau or his descendants. It is not because of your hatred and your persecution of the Amalekites, even though they are actually the true Jews and have no bearing on their salvation apart from faith than we do. It is solely through the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one you claim to follow and daily blaspheme. My one and only call to you is repent and believe the gospel, just as your fellow Jews, quote-unquote, have said throughout history. Read Acts chapter 2. Well, that all started with uh, someone asking if they could uh, call us on the phone. <laughs> yes. No, you can't. No. So, uh, to sum up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, well let's, uh, let's dive in. Let's can you tell I've had experience with these people? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was, yeah, was going to well, say, man. Let's dive in and get to as many uh, questions as we can. Yeah, we yeah got I've got a, got, got a couple yeah. here um, yeah. from Torah Beth. This is, this is pretty much related. I like how the questions are flowing from one to the other. Her question is, uh, what is the right way to witness? Do I approach them with a, like a motivational God loves you, or do I tell them that you're going to hell if you don't repent, or is it both? Um, he was, uh, she was watching a debate between a street preacher and a Christian, and the street preacher was saying, you're doing it wrong, which made me laugh because that sounds like a street preacher. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. It depends on your audience. Again, the reason I adopted the black Hebrews who like rhetoric and the way that I spoke to them is because that's the only thing that gets their attention. If you're talking to a Muslim, don't treat them as if they're a bona fide ISIS member. Ask them, well, what does Islam mean to you? If you're talking to someone who claims to be a Christian but is following, say, the teachings of Joseph Smith, ask them gently, match their tone and energy, and say, well, what specifically gives you reason to believe Joseph Smith when he is in conflict with these other things? Or just tell me about Jesus. Always start there. But when it comes to sharing the gospel again, it should make should ultimately stand or fall, not on the way that you're doing it, but the fact that you're doing it to a person, because that's the goal, not to fill in a quota of speaking, but to fill in an actual place in someone's life, to talk to them, to listen to them, to actually and meaningfully answer their questions and show them that what they have either isn't Jesus or that they aren't as enjoying him as much as they think they are. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, you know, is there a right way or a wrong way to witness? These things come up because there are mm -hmm. people that will get into a particular gospel presentation and they will say, oh, this is the only way to share your faith. Um, very good presentations, like the Way of the Master, for instance, that starts out by getting people to understand the bad news, that they really do have a sin problem, before you can share the good news right. with them. Uh, the only problem with the Way of the Master is that it becomes almost uh, cookie-cutter 
sort of a presentation. You'd say the same thing about people who share the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, you know, and then going on through uh, the laws, steps to peace with God, uh, the Billy Graham organization. Uh, you know, there's uh, groups, evangelism explosion uh, is one of them. Uh, there was a book called Tell the Truth uh, that uh, talked about, you know, all the faults and flaws with so many gospel presentations and so on. But the, the problem gets to be uh, that we get into this one-size-fits-all, mm-hmm. and the, the biggest problem I see with that is personal. Uh, if we've got a sales pitch rather than a sincere desire to connect and communicate truth, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a problem there. Right. And, you know, I, in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter uh, 2 and uh, verse 11, we read, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from uh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, I think if there's a right way and a wrong way to share uh, the gospel, sometimes, you know, God is going to honor his word in a, in a, in a wonderful, uh, di- wonderfully different amount of ways. A guy I knew at the U of A came to Christ uh, when one of the more noxious um, street preachers that used to inhabit uh, the mall when, when I was there, you know, busy telling people how vile and sinful they were, he eventually uh, got around to sharing something about Jesus dying. And this guy, really brilliant guy, chemistry student, all this, said, huh, Jesus died? I've never really thought about that. And he started looking and he became a Christian. Really? So, you know, I don't then recommend uh, mall preachers yeah. or this guy's really obnoxious presentation. But God can use anything. We talked yeah. about Balaam. God spoke through a donkey right. to Balaam. Yeah. I, I get the impression sometimes he's been doing it ever since. But, <laughs> but the, the most important thing is this. People are looking for something that's real, something that's genuine. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to be able to communicate the truth about God. We need to make uh, the, any presentation that we have the opportunity, whether it's a discussion, bring it back to the person of Jesus Christ, his yeah. death and his resurrection. We see that modeled over and over and over again. But we also need to let our lives adorn the good news. In mm-hmm. other words, we're like a picture frame that allows someone to yeah. take a look, good look at Jesus. Now, we don't preach the picture frame. Nobody goes to the museum to look at picture frames, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then sometimes I think when we get too locked in to a particular presentation, yeah. we might be comfortable with that. We might think it's it's the only way to do it. We might look down at others that do things differently. But inevitably, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. And, and so... Whose it, Word? Yeah. <laughs> the Word of God. Stop it! Yes. No. <laughs> Not that again. My nerves are on. <laughs> so so I, I guess my, my answer to that is, you know, have a, a number of tools in your toolbox. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe it's an apologetics deal where you can show people the rational reason why we believe uh, what we believe. Maybe it's going to be sharing your testimony, you know, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Maybe it's just you living your life differently in a non-Christian setting where people go, wow, why are you so different? You know, and then you can point them, all of these things, you know, point people back to Jesus, not to the methodology, not to the person who wrote a book, but to right. Jesus. And I think if we do that, we're going to be just fine. Yeah, yeah, very good. Great question, Torbeth. Thank you. Great to discuss that. 
Uh, Mac D asks, is it bad to not be a giving person? I've had thoughts of helping or giving, but I never take action to follow up. So what? how should we be as givers, as, as believers and cheerful followers? Yeah. Cheerful, yeah. I always go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, I, let's face it, one of the most sensitive issues that comes up in spiritual settings is the, the whole idea of, of giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember before I was a Christian, my uh, dad would often say, all of these Christians, all they want is your money. Right. You know, and it was funny. Every time we came to church, which wasn't really often, uh, it was always Big Giving Sunday or, you know, some <laughs> new building project was being launched. Yeah. And, you know, reinforced like, mm-hmm. the stereotype. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, well, I guess, I guess they're right. Um, and, you know, we can react against that. And, you know, maybe if you've been burned, gone to some fundraiser, and I've been to a few uh, where they go, oh, you know, we need to raise X amount of money tonight. And, oh, if God, we, you know, we're going to pass out these commitment cards and, you know, we're going to take an offering here and then we're going to see if the Lord really moved in giving tonight. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll say, oh, we're only $2,000 short and we're going to do another offering now. And, and then they come out, oh, the spirit of the Lord is really moving here. We've exceeded our goal and, and we're going to take an extra special love offering. And, you know, and, and then, you know, ushers, you know, uh, stand by the exits there because we don't want anybody to leave and not be, you know, you look at this and you just go, man, it's just, it's a bummer. Mm. You know, it's just, you feel like you're, you know, someone's picking you up and shaking you out yeah. so your money falls out of your pockets. But that's not the way the scripture looks at giving. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. You know, three things I just throw out to you about giving then. First, if you're going to give, give as, give on purpose. Give intentionally. Mm. Why are you going to give at all? It's because you feel guilty see other people doing it. You don't want to stand like a sore thumb. These are all sub-Christian motivations. Purpose in your heart, if you're going to give, you're giving unto the Lord. You're giving because the Lord talks about giving. Uh, Purpose in your heart, what you're going to give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now, the idea of grudgingly, I call that the eye roll test. Mm -hmm. You know, if uh, you're hearing the, the pitch for, you know, God's a little short this month, so give us some money, or, you know, they're going to take an offering and pass the plate. And your first reaction is, oh, you, you know, oh, here we go. Don't give. Don't give. God isn't short. God doesn't need your money. Um, would you want someone to give to you with their eyes rolling? And, okay, here you go. I guess, no, I wouldn't want their money either. And God feels the same way. Uh, or necessity. Sometimes people say, if you give, brother, God's going to manifest uh, tenfold blessing for you. And if you're short on money, it's because you're not giving. God's cursed you with a curse, you know. That, well, no, that's that's not a, a scriptural idea behind all of that. Notice it says, God loves a cheerful giver. The word there, cheerful, is the Greek word hilarion. We get our term hilarious from that. Mm. You know, it's got to not be a, a got to. It's got to be a get to. Yeah. If God's been good to you, you've got the opportunity to be able to turn around and bless other people with it. Here's the deal. The reason that we give is not because God's short. It's not because 
you know, if you don't give, they're going to pull the plug or, you know, things like this. The kingdom of God is going to fail. The reason we give is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay. Said what? <laughs> he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mm. When we give, we're like Jesus. We're, we're like the father who gave his son. Uh, and, and so because the father is generous, because he gives us every good and perfect gift that we've got, um, we get to give as well. Mm. Now the question always comes up, uh, 10%, the tithe. Should you be giving a, a tithe? Well, the 10% tithe, strictly speaking, was a part of the Old Testament law. It was a form of spiritual income tax that the people of Israel would pay for the upkeep of the temple to support of the priests. Um, we don't see tithing past what I call the three-way test in the New Testament. That is, uh, do we see something practiced or taught by Jesus in the Gospels, further demonstrated as part of the life of the church in the book of Acts, and then explained going onward in the epistles? Uh, we don't see that 10% mark. Now, I think giving 10% is a great benchmark. Mm. I mean, if God's giving you everything, giving 10% back, you know, how far right. wrong can you go? Yep. And if you're sort of systematic like I am, and you live on a budget, it's just nice just to be able to say, okay, this is my, my targeted giving. I'm going to give it off the top. I'm going to give it to the Lord as an act of faith because he's been so good to me. Yeah. Then I think that's a good thing. But the minute it's like, well, the reason you're not getting blessed is you don't tithe. Well, that's right. getting into the law. That's not walking by grace. So yeah. we've got to be very careful. Yeah, absolutely. That. Great question, Mac D. Thank you for that. We've come to the end of our time, and it's the weekend. Thank you for joining us and your great questions. Great show. We'll be back again on Monday, same time, same place. We look forward to uh, receiving more of your questions then. God bless you. Have a great week. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.